Welcome to the Nature Reliance Podcast, where we explore the history and practical experience of the great outdoors and discover new ways to connect with nature. I'm Craig Cottle, your guide through the fascinating world of natural living and survival skills through experiential education and interviews. Today's episode is brought to you by the Nature Reliance School Online Membership, an immersive online learning experience designed for outdoor enthusiasts just like you. Are you passionate about the outdoors? Do you crave more knowledge about disaster readiness, wilderness survival, bushcraft, tracking, and nature awareness? If so, the Nature Reliance School online membership is your gateway to a community of like-minded individuals, all dedicated to learning and sharing essential outdoor skills. With the Nature Reliance School online membership, you get exclusive access to a wealth of resources, including expert-led tutorials, interactive webinars, and a library of engaging courses, downloadable books, and documents. Whether you're a beginner or an experienced outdoorsman, there's always something new to learn. So don't wait. Click on the link below to join the Nature Reliance School online membership today. Embrace the wilderness, enhance your skills, and become part of a community that values nature as much as you do. Now, let's dive into today's episode. Hey everybody, welcome into another episode of the Nature Reliance Media Podcast. I've got another fantastic interview for you today. Today I sat down with Jamie Burley of the Old World Alliance. Jamie and I had a nice conversation starting out talking about delivering pizzas when we were youngins, as well as I asked my standard questions that I love asking all outdoorsmen what his most enjoyable, funniest, and humbling experiences in the outdoors were. And I've got to say, he's got a remarkable story to tell as far as the most enjoyable experience and the obligatory, because I've got a bunch of these too, poop story that is probably one of the funniest. So it's a it, it's hilarious. So you're going to enjoy it. So here is Jamie and I. Hey, Jamie. Welcome hey, to the show. Oh, <laughs> Welcome to the show. No, that's fine, man. It's, we're we're very informal here. Welcome to the show, man. Glad you're here. Oh, thank you, thank you. So here's what I did, Jamie. You tell me what you think about this because I'm I'm guessing you've done this as well. Uh, trying to get myself prepared for this, I just did the the famous Google search of Jamie Burley. You ever do that on yourself? Because I do it occasionally on myself too to see who's who's saying stuff and what what's out there. What do you think? I, I did because I didn't want to come on here sounding like a bumbling idiot. So I wanted to be a little bit more prepared. And uh, I was uh, a little taken back. Um, I Googled my own name and uh, it's I, I was a little I was like I said, I was taken back. I, there's a lot of stuff that I've done in uh, um, concerning the outdoors and, and <clears throat> where I've been and what I've done. and. Uh, I, I, I wrote it down and it just seems like a fluffed up resume. I almost didn't even want to talk about it. <laughs> Understand. I Understand. wanted to tell you that I delivered pizzas when I was in high school at that point. I didn't <laughs> want to talk about this. So stuff. did I. <laughs> Domino's baby. Was it Domino's, <laughs> Little Caesars? Who'd you deliver for? Everybody in town. Okay. Everybody gotcha. Town. <laughs> yeah, that was my job. My, that was my summer job right before I went to college, man. I made good money delivering pizza. You're not lying. Dude, I, you I can have, get some good tips delivering pizza. 
I, I made a lot of money. Um, I, my first job was working at Kentucky fried chicken with my cousin. Yeah. And, uh, I, I had to pay for the insurance on a 1972 Nova that, that Rock and I roll. tell me, please tell me it was green. It was two yes, door Chevy. That's Chevy classic Chevy. Nova. Yep. Um, it, I bought it at an auction sale for, I think a thousand dollars. Um, nice. When I was, um, 14, um, I bought it with money that I made skinning deer for five, de- uh, $5 a piece at the butcher. Oh my gosh, man. So that, that, uh, I, I, I skun a lot of deer. Yeah. I you that much. Right. And, uh, I went to an auction sale because we had a 1972 Nova sitting in a barn and, uh, I, I bought it and I chug lugged it all the way home because I didn't know how to drive a stick shift. I was 14 <laughs> years old. You can't find them, grind them. They'll make them out of rubber next year. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's see. It sat in, in the yard for uh, a year and a half until I got my license. I snuck it out of the 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 driveway a few times when my parents weren't home tried to wheel it back in the same tracks right where it was because we did move it to mow the lawn and stuff so we did have some tracks there so i snuck it out here and there that's awesome um but yeah i worked at kentucky fried chicken and i figured out how many hours i had to work making like three dollars and 25 cents an hour at kentucky fried chicken at the time uh, to just pay my insurance and then I would leave work. Chicken <laughs> Boom, mic drop. Jamie's out. <laughs> Chicken still in the fryers. You name it. I'm, oh I'm off the back door. I right. made enough to pay my, my insurance and I split. <laughs> so what you're saying is you didn't want to make Kentucky Fried Chicken a career, right? Is that what you're saying? Uh, no, it was <laughs> awesome. I just, I just wanted to go out and date girls and have a car to do so with. That's right. it. Right. Nice. <laughs> So tell me about this Google search. What what's what's uh, concerning about it? What's good about it? Tell me well, about Jamie. Tell me about Jamie Burley. That's what I want to know. Yeah, well, there it's a it's a funny story because there's a, a Jamie Burley then and a Jamie Burley now, a big difference. And uh who do you want to talk about? Both? Um only a, li- a little bit about then, just okay. because it, it makes more sense of where I'm going now, you know. That sounds good. Uh, Let's do it. Uh, I, I have a, a, a resume here, uh, that I, I put on LinkedIn and I just went to, went to it and, uh, it started in 2009. It looks like, um, developed a children's basic scout survival class. And, uh, I introduced that program to the local boy scouts, girl scouts and 4-H groups here locally. So a little bit before 2009, I'm going to have to say 2000. 2003, I, I myself and Josh, Jeff Kendi created what was called Great Lakes Bushcraft. And you can even see that on Google. <clears throat> and it lasted a few years. And uh, we were teaching, uh, uh, I guess you would call it now bushcrafting skills and outdoor stuff, basically scout stuff. Um, we were, he was training the, uh, the volunteer militia here in Michigan. And uh, he called upon me to uh, teach some of these skills and self-reliance skills to the militia because that was very um, uh, relevant to them and their their local troops and, and law, law enforcement. 
our, our local militia here actually helps fire department, um, law enforcement do, do special events and stuff like that. And it isn't <laughs> like the Wolverines, you know, <clears throat> then I, uh, I, I wrote my very first curriculum in, uh, 2010, um, to the Michigan State University for an outdoor living skills program that was taught at two different Fort Huron area school districts for the kids. At the time, that was revolutionary uh, only because we were able to make fires and use axes and knives on school property with right. miners. It was it was huge. Right. It, was, it was very huge. And I was very, very proud of that accomplishment. I wanted to take that pretty far I, I really i got funded we got uh um oh, we we took that program really far and then and then i discovered the youtube i started seeing other people i started seeing other schools pop up other schools started noticing me and then i uh got very deep with the pathfinder school and uh i stayed there for the better part of seven years. Um, uh, I went from being a, a guest to a class to taking all of their classes to instructing most of their classes to becoming a lead instructor for the program and then finally ending up in their uh, outfitter store in uh, um, without going too much into that, I uh, along the way I got certified in uh, wilderness first aid and medicinal plants in in certified in wilderness first aid, um, remote medicine certified, fishing uh, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Trapping U.S. Trappers Education course. I became a certified registered nuisance animal trapper. I started to work as an on-site survival expert and host on um, Outside Explore in the National Geographic on two different uh, productions. Um, I, I, it, it actually goes on, and I, I, I'm like, it's 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 pretty impressive, you know. Um, but now I don't do any of that. <laughs> right. I I just I just don't. <laughs> I <clears throat> I thought I really thought then I believe that uh, I, I needed to have all this stuff on paper. And, and I was uh, on a mission to be the man. And, and uh, a couple of years ago, one of the, the high points in my, my outdoor career, I believe, I had a stroke. And, oh, wow. Uh, I, I didn't know that. I did. I lost uh, vision in one eye. My, my left eye bulged out and was looking up. Oh, wow. It was caused by an aneurysm in one of the three nerves, one of the three optic nerves behind my eyeball. And uh, they it was a blood clot. And here's the thing. They said, well, it could be a very bad thing because the blood clot could break free and the brain is right here. Like, right away. Right. So um, we had to be very ginger with that. And um and so this was when, Jamie, two years ago? About two years ago. So was that? That's when I left, when I left uh, SRO. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> so that happened while you were there, after, right after you had left. Yes. Yeah. Okay. No, it was, it was the reason, one of the reasons, it was the reason that, that pushed me to the edge to come back home and, 
understand. Uh, leave Indiana, and in, uh, it was the best choice I ever made. It all the way around. And so you were in you were at that time you were living in Indiana working for SRO the shop right yes and then the, you went back to Michigan where in Michigan this general location you don't have to uh, tell Port me. Huron about a north an okay. hour north of Detroit okay and so that's good for you moving back home right yeah I can hear it I can hear it in your voice <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, but I, it, it's, it's, it's funny when I did the Google search and I saw this, um, resume, it's, I immediately wanted to cut the fluff. I wanted to cut a lot of stuff out there, but this is really what, what kind of made me today. So I, I, that's history that I, I, I think should be up, but I don't really talk too much about it. Mm-hmm. I just don't. I just don't. So what was I, the, I mean, what. What was what would you say is the big takeaway from the stuff that you're leaving behind that now makes you who you are? What 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 would you say is that the big takeaway? We'll be back after a quick break. Hey guys and gals, a quick break in our episode to talk about a game changer in outdoor cooking, the Fire Maple backpacking and camping stove system. Whether you're hiking, fishing, or even prepping for emergencies, this portable pot and jet burner is a must-have in your gear. Best part? It's nearly half the price of a comparable jet boil stove system. Thanks to its leading heat exchange technology, you'll experience reduced boiling times by up to 30% compared to traditional stoves, even in windy conditions. That means more time enjoying the outdoors and less time cooking. Are you ready to upgrade your outdoor cooking game? Click the link in the description now to grab yours. Trust me, your outdoor adventures will never be the same. It put a lot of miles on me. It put a lot of um, boots on the ground in all kinds of different areas concerning the outdoors and training. And uh, I saw a lot of places. I traveled all over the world. I, 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 you know, it, it's, 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 it's kind of hard for me to listen to myself say that because it's hard for me to believe, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, a lot of things happened in a short amount of time that, um, I'm, I'm thankful for, and it was a great ride, but now I'm back and, uh, I don't want to say I have a mission, but I, if you ever had a chance to redo, you know, if, if you're, 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 you're getting, uh, in your older, uh, you're getting older and, uh, you look back and you think, boy, if I had a, a chance to go back and do it over again, I I'm, I'm a dreamer and, and I think I can, and, and I am mm-hmm. because I'm taking the experience that I've gained, the knowledge that I've learned up till this point, And I'm, I'm really on a mission to put programs together to introduce introduce some of the things that really made my outdoor experience a good one to introduce that to people just starting out so they would have a better vision of what they want to do and what they want to accomplish and uh that is a real life do-over you know if you had a chance you know we we all have a chance we just have to do it Mm -hmm. and uh what i'm getting back from that is is uh uh, it, it, it's life changing. You know, I actually get a chance and now it's not like I'm too old. It's not like I'm dead. 
I get a chance to be a part of that and experience it. And by golly, if you if you think you could do that, go ahead and, and do that in some way, shape, or fashion. That's good stuff. I like it that you're in a place that you feel real good about. That's fantastic. It it took 49 years. <laughs> right. I understand. Yeah. Um, it's worth the wait, you know. Um it's it's okay now. It it took a while. I wasn't mentally. I don't think I was mentally uh, capable of handling this any time prior. Yeah, I think maturity will bring that to a lot of us, right? It kind of uh, takes. It, it provides some clarity. Uh, age does, I believe, for a lot of us. Yeah. Yeah, I, and I I don't I don't know that uh, we can get some of that clarity without some boots on the ground, as you said, experience and years. You just don't know until you've you've actually done it. I mean, we see it a lot with the uh, armchair quarterbacks and everybody on the internet doing everything better than we do. And and um, I'm okay with that. I'm okay. I'm absolutely okay with that. Before, I, I used to get a chip on my shoulder. I used to throw a napkin at my TV when I'm watching <laughs> these outdoor TV shows and stuff like that. I used to get all bent out of shape. Uh, you know what? As, as a matter of fact, I got bent out of shape yesterday watching watching one of them stupid shows on TV, and I'm like, uh, you know, <laughs> I I I was now in in their shoes, and I'm like, oh, I don't like this space at all, and I'm like, oh, I'm over, right. over. So is that something you do? Do you watch much TV? Because I I don't. I don't know the shows very well at all. I can't. People send me stuff and ask me all the time. I'm like, I, I don't watch the show, so I don't really know, and it's. I like to help people when they're asking me questions, but I don't know how to answer the questions when I'm not watching them. I was asked to be a, be a part of alone season one. Okay. Episode one, I was like the third person called and I worked with them for like, I, I worked with uh, the team for about three months. They didn't have a contract yet. They didn't know how long they were going to be out there for they were just putting the building blocks together so they could get the, uh, the legal together to create this contract. And uh, we weren't sh- sure what we were going to get paid, what, what the, uh, the end game was the prize. And I just, at the time I was um, a, a lead instructor at a very prominent school. And uh, uh, I was, I, you know, I, I, I don't want to, you know, I will say this. I, I was really told, you know, that could be detrimental to my position only because what if I didn't do well, that would sure. reflect the school. And I right. get that. That right. was a little scary. Uh, it made me doubt. It, it made me think, well, I've got a solid job. I, I, you know, a lot of people in this industry are doing this to, to be recognized, to grow and to build something up from the ground up after they leave the show. It's like, okay, they've done the show. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you do afterwards to keep the momentum and make a career out of it? Cause a lot of people that are on these shows don't do anything else. And, and, you know, honestly, I had something. I, I will always have something if I wanted to, I had a solid position in the outdoors doing exactly what I wanted to do. I didn't need to challenge myself. I just thought I could do it myself. I'm like, gosh, if I get out there, you tell me I get to pick the items in, in a a, a winter, um, a a winter type scenario. And I can hunt fish and trap and 
and cut a living out of the wilderness, I said, I won't come home. I said, when, when do you want to stop? Mm-hmm. And they kind of laughed and they said, what do you mean? And I kind of talked with them more. And, uh, and then I started talking about safety and security, not only the, the uh, cast, but the crew members and, and the people on site. So I, um, for about four seasons, I was talking with production and I wanted to be behind the, like behind the scenes dealing with dangerous animals and protection and safety of the crew. And I'm like, I can do like that. They make just as much is the participants. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I, I'm not risking anything. And it would be a, a lot of experience gained on my part for uh, production, post-production, all of that type of work that really, especially working with nuisance animals and having the credentials. I'm like, gosh, this, I want to do this. Um, so uh, I had a family at the time and I couldn't take that much time off for every season. So what I chose to do is uh, work behind the scenes and I was helping cast and go through all the applicants Hmm. for that show and a couple others behind the scenes. So I could do that at home. And I'm like, you know what? That feels better to me. I can help in a, in a, in a different fashion and still get a paycheck working with those people. So that's good. Interesting. So you did that with a loan and you did that for other shows as well too, huh? Uh, yeah. Outside, outside explorer, national geographic. Um, I did one called, you've probably heard of it because I, na- I named it Live Free or Die. Hmm. It was on for, it was on the, uh, oh, I'm not sure which channel it was, uh, A&E, I believe, A&E channel. And it was on for like 13 seasons. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was called, it was called Live Free or Die. And I believe I'm in the credits in the end. So yeah, a lot of people don't know that. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, I wasn't aware of that. I don't know what that show is. What was that? Was that show an outdoor show as well? It was a little bit, this was a little bit more up my alley. This was, um, this was, uh, working in the Blue Ridge mountains on a, on a logging road that was only occupied by a few families. And, uh, they all were trying to be, uh, more self-sufficient. One of them was living in a bus in the woods. One of them had a farm. One of them tried to be totally off grid and it made, it made production very easy to get around in, in film hmm. a whole lot because they were on location. There. It was on the same road. Right. They just camped out there and, and that's what they did. And they did hmm. it seasonally. It was, it was a really big hit. You could see what was going on from the beginning stages of them, like starting off with like rabbits to getting goats to um, taking care of a whole hillside that they wanted to turn into a garden. And it was really like self-reliant, self-sufficient living. I really got into that one, that one um, a lot. Nice. It wasn't too staged. And I'll tell you all TV is staged. Right. Um, it wasn't too staged. Uh, um, it just got to be like revisiting your, your crazy cousin and the uncles or your <laughs> crazy cousin's house in, in the country every holiday you know you just check up on these guys or they're doing this and it was it was interesting like the first six seasons and then it just got deep it just got deep it was like a it's yeah. time to cut it off right right well i've got i've got some questions here i like to ask of just about everybody i get on you you okay for that yeah let's shoot man yeah shoot. first one is 
for you personally, what's your most enjoyable time that you've had in the outdoors? Is there one that stands out to you that stand that, uh, is remarkably a, an enjoyable time? I, the first thing that comes to mind is a hunting trip. Yeah, I was by myself and I would, I went to my, uh, my friend's farm and I was bow hunting. It was early season and it was the first time I was in this area of his farm. So I just, uh, instead of walking out to uh, a blind that I had set up, I started just stalking or still hunting. And for those of you that don't know what still hunting is, uh, and my interpretation of still hunting is moving so slow in the woods, you're able to just hunt from where you're at. Like I would find a location, pick my, pick my pathway, um, through, uh, through the vegetation or through the woods. And uh, I would take a step softly, slowly, not really moving at all. Just take a, a, a small, but uh, precise step and wait and make sure that I look at every leaf, every tree, everything in my area. And it may take me an hour to move 30 feet, you know, an hour. And, uh, I didn't get very far because no matter how slow I'm moving, the game is still moving. Okay. So right. it's a front seat. It's, it's a really enjoyable way for those that, that that's never stalked or still hunted to see a lot of animals. Uh, some people would think the other, just because you're out in the open, you're exposed. Um, but you're not when, you know, trees don't move when animals are, are, are noticing the area they're in and they're moving. If you're standing still, not making a lot of commotion, you know, um, they don't notice you as much. So um, I was in camouflage. At, well, I was in plaid, dark colored jeans, and I had my bow. We'll be back after a quick break. What's all around you, almost everywhere you look, and makes your life better? Birds. Learn all about these beautiful creatures in this wonderful new podcast called Birds of a Feather Talk Together. Two experts guide two newbies on their journey to learn more. Mallard ducks, ivory-billed woodpeckers, Hawaiian honeycreepers, blue jays, cardinals, sandhill cranes, and more. Each week we discuss a different bird and walk away with a better understanding of the birds all around us. Oh, and we have a ton of fun doing it. Listen now. You're going to like learning about these birds. I guarantee it. What was it yeah. Fred Bear said? The best camouflage is to sit down and shut up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Always keep the wind in your face though. That's, right. that's the big one. Um, I, I, it didn't take long before a small herd of deer started to work its way down this little woodlot that I was walking in. Uh, I got within three feet. I could touch a few of these yearlings that were, that they knew I was there. They smelled me. It was a farm. They they understood what a, a human smelled like, so they weren't really spooked, but they weren't they weren't totally at ease either. But I decided to follow with their group. I started to walk with the deer herd, and and follow with them for the better part of the day. And and my speed picked up. Um, they got used to the smell. They got used to me. They got used to me rubbing my nose or scratching my ear moving around 
I watched their body language and, and I learned so much from that time spent with that moving, roving through the woods with that deer herd. It was, hmm. it was totally cool. It was totally cool. Um, I did end up shooting one. I'm going to say that I, it isn't like a Cinderella story at the, at right. the end. I, 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 I chose one with a limp. I, I stayed with them long enough to recognize uh, it was a young deer that there were a lot bigger deers and small buck uh, with that group, but one of them had a noticeable limp, and and I took that one at the end, and we followed that deer herd all the way back, almost to where we started from. They were they were doing a big circle, and I, I took that one clean. And, uh, and and to tell you the truth, after I shot and after the way it it reacted, the other deer didn't run because I didn't run. They they thought that I was part of their herd. It, it was a it was a weird, awesome experience, and, and sure. uh, I, I really, really appreciated that. I had a really good time that day. I, I yeah. remember it like it was yesterday. Yeah, that is really good stuff. Really good stuff. What uh, What about? Uh, is there a time that you can remember that you would say is the funniest time that you've had in the outdoors? On me, it was it jokes on me. Yes. Um, I, and again, it, a lot of, a lot of my stories, I think are going to go back to hunting or the woods. Cause that's, that's kind of what I do. Yet, right? right. Sure. Um, I understand that. I'm with you on that. <laughs> I was, uh, up in Meeker. I believe it was Meeker in Michigan, about three and a half hours away. And, uh, I was bow hunting again and it was colder. Uh, it was colder. It was almost gun season. And, uh, I remember getting out of my stand uh, or blind. I had gun blinds, and it, uh, for some reason, the gun blinds are really low. Mm. You know, just just enough to peek out of and shoot. So when I got to this gun blind, I was directed to to hunt up out of because it was a really good spot. I couldn't shoot my bow because, of course, the upper limb would t- hit the roof. Right. So I'm like, this sucks. Now I'm now I'm like, okay, I'm going to hunt on the outside of this blind. I go to the outside, and I'm like, man, I look like a a fool out here I, I'm <laughs> sitting behind a big old block house this is dumb so I decided to go you know still hunt um it, and I got I got I don't know 50 <laughs> 75 yards away from that that shooting shed and I had to go to the bathroom I had to go number two I'm like man, oh, I, man hate, come on, I, <laughs> I hate go I hate going to the bathroom listen I hate going number two in the woods I don't care who you are I hate going number two so I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't want to stop hunting. I don't want to hustle to one side and then go to the bathroom. I'm, I'm hunting, man. This, I'm in the thick of things. I don't want right. to, oh, I got to go. So the I urge to purge. <laughs> I had, I, you know, I did have, I did have the proper necessities to take care of my shortcomings at that point, right? And uh, I, I take my, my, my bibs off. I sit on a log. I find a log. It was, it was almost, it was a good place to poop. Okay. It was a good place to poop. <laughs> and I, I do my business. I clean up. I'm, I'm like, okay, now I'm ready to hunt. And I, I'm like, I better get out of here. You know, they're going to smell this. I kicked the leaf. I'm like, I, I even dug it. I kicked a small impression in the ground and everything. Like I'm hunting. I didn't want this to mess everything up. Sure. Okay. 15 minutes later, I find another great spot and I sit down in this little uh, clump of trees from a downfall and I turn and I catch a whiff of it. I'm like, whoa, that's not cool. 
of, of where you mm-hmm. went to the bathroom. You're smelling. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. I'm like, Oh man, no it's, way. Yeah. And I, I, I smell the other way. I put my, I tilt my head over my other shoulder. And I take a whiff. I'm like, Whoa. Oh my gosh. Man. Smell it. And then I'm checking my boots. Right. I'm like, man, is it on my boots? <laughs> what the heck? Like, you know, I'm, I'm everywhere. Right. And I'm now like, Nothing's going to come around here. So I, I go another couple hundred yards away and I sit down, I get all situated and I turn my head to look up wind. I smell it again. Oh my gosh, Jamie. I'm like, come on. Where is it? (laughs) Right. This happens two more times. And I'm like, man, I'm within sight of the road now in the cabin. I'm just going, I'm, I'm just so frustrated (laughs) at this point. And, uh, I, I'm walking back and I see uh, a blood trail where, where I'm, I intersected the tra- main trail back to the cabin. My dad, of course, had already shot a deer and it's hanging up on the, <laughs> on the buck pole. And, uh, I walk into the little trailer that we had for a cabin and, uh, he's, he's sitting there like making lunch. <laughs> he's done. Dad's done. Dad's <laughs> always done first. I right? know. It. I know. It. I know. I'm, he's sitting there making lunch. He has the little, uh, uh kerosene heater going he's making lunch and everything else and uh he goes well did you need help dragging him out you know he's kind of rubbing it in i'm like no no he's like did you see anything i said no no and uh i didn't tell him what happened at all okay i I kicked off my boots i made sure that there's nothing on my boots i kicked off my boots and i turned around and undid my bibs i took off my bibs to hang them on the wall and he goes what is that? Go, <laughs> oh my gosh, man. I go, oh what? Gosh. And I look on my bib <laughs> and there's the biggest splatter of stuff on the inside of my bibs. That you can <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, man. Poop stories are the best. I, I couldn't believe it. I like, oh, I felt like such a jerk. <laughs> right. Oh man. That was and fun. So Mystery solved. Yeah. Right. He was Mystery following solved. me around. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right. So next question about these outdoor trips. Okay. Humble. When's, when's the most that you felt like you were humbled? A knife only class. A knife only class that I, uh, that I took. Um, it, it was Jason Hunt. He was teaching it. He said, come on down, man. Um, I'm doing a knife only class. I'm like, yeah, that sounds like fun. He, I'm all cocky, right? Now. That sounds like fun. He says, well, we're going to, we're going to have a few items. And he told me what to bring. I'm like, oh, you mean we're going camping? Right. Right. <laughs> so just in case the students couldn't get shelter or fire or something, you know, it was something to make sure that everybody was safe. It was smart. It was smart plan. And um, we get to the, get to the class and in pure Jason, style he's like all right let's see everybody's items drop what you got on the hillside okay we dropped what we got and he said okay everybody pick up your knife okay we picked up our knife and then he's like put all the rest of the stuff in these buckets put them in your car <laughs> right. okay it it, it it turned into a knife only really quick and um uh, it didn't bother me too much because I was still kind of cocky and, and thought, hey, no problem. But I, it, it's, it's a, a funny thing about that hardware, that gear. I was questioning 
the size of my knife at that point. I never <laughs> thought about carrying a big knife at that point, right? Right. But it it hit me, and it was very very um, uh, a humbling a humbling experience when I, I I thought that I didn't have a big enough knife. I never felt that way before. Right. But when right. I had to depend on it, that's when it hit me. I'm like, okay, now we're gonna do this. Well, um, he split us up into teams. And uh, the first thing we had to do, uh, because there was a storm coming, we had to make shelter and fire, right? Um, of course, that's that's what we did. And uh, shelter, no problem. And uh, other people got their uh, primitive fire. And I just could not. My my, It wasn't because of my blade. It wasn't because of it being um, smaller than normal. Uh, you know, I only had like a four-inch blade. Um, I was still uh, processing and splitting down the cedar logs that were there. That was absolutely fine. The wood was wet on the outside, but dry on the inside. No big, big deal when it comes to primitive fire. But I tried and tried and tried and tried. And it's just, it was one of those days when it comes to primitive fire that I just couldn't get it. I understand. And, and I totally was white and I couldn't move. I couldn't operate. It was hot. It was muggy. Um, we, we got some water in me. Uh, we got some emergency in me. I, there was no coming back. I, I hit, I hit a point and, uh, I, all I could do is just lay there and I'm like, here I am, uh, an instructor. I should be rocking this. And I just didn't, I, I could not perform And there. I was totally exposed to everybody. And I'm like, look, man, this can happen. I said, it was one of the first times when I just couldn't, I could, the only thing I could do was lay there. It was, mm. um, it was super humble, super humble. Yeah. Yeah. The woods, the woods don't care what about labels like expert or instructor and stuff like that. Do they, they just don't care. The woods don't No, But, um, for something that I was pushing for so long about, um, these big knives don't need these big knives, you know, um, uh, I, I don't know. The first thing I thought about is, I don't have a big enough knife. It was a weird, it was a weird thing. And so what do you think the the big knife would have brought to you in use that oh, you didn't man. have? I mean, how would that have benefited you? Kind of the, 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 and here's the thing. I think this mentality about an ax, a bigger ax does more work, period. End of story, less chops, less effort. Okay. Um, it will do more things. I can do more things with a big axe or a big knife than I can with a small one. It may not be as precise and it may not be as, um, I'm just going to stick with precise at that point. Mm -hmm. I can do everything else with a big knife, but the, the small knife is not going to chop efficiently. I have to work twice as hard to produce, let's just say, um, a shelter maybe cutting sticks for um, uh, traps, uh, poles that are very important for stakes. I'm working two and three times harder using a small belt knife than I'm a big one. So I'm not winning at that point just because it fits on my belt better or I think I'm going to use it more. My priorities, my the priorities when I'm in the woods, when I need to pull out a tool, I don't want to work three times harder to effectively get the same outcome. Sure. It was, it was eye opening for me at that point. Very good. 
And that's something now, and this is what I like to point out about humbling experiences. That's something that you share with other people as you just did. So now your experiences, I, I always like to say you're either growing or you're learning. I mean, you're either winning or you're learning. There is no losing out there. You're, you're learning. And when you get humbled, when we all get humbled, when we learn or we make mistakes, what are called mistakes, if we can take them and share those with others, then possibly those people don't make those same mistakes. And it's a really, really good thing. Would you agree with that? I, I, I do wholeheartedly. And, and I don't want to say now, it's just when, when we say experts and experience and all this stuff, I almost want to throw the flag in the air. And it's at some point we have to recognize ourselves, not anybody else. We have to recognize that we've got a lot of time in this game and we have a lot to share. We just don't have a, a good avenue to um, promote this and to share it. So um, part of what I want to do or my mission that I'm hell-bent on doing is um, having these, um, these small camps, the, these small experiences, taking people out and talking just like we are now and uh, sharing what I would do in those circumstances because um, legitimately or, or realistically, I would be their guide at the, that point and moment because I know the, the easements, the, the property. I want to make sure all of the campers and the students would be safe. They're in a new area. So it's my obligation to uh, take care of these folks. But I want to make sure they're taken care of and they're learning. And it, if they're not under pressure and, and they're not a forced, forced uh, a schedule at that point, when we're just experiencing the woods, they're going to come back. They're going to want to learn more. I'm not going to. I'm not going to cram um, uh, four days of 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 information into them in a weekend. It's uh, we're not doing our students uh, uh, a good service at that point. I want them to be. Um, I want them to be very uh, at ease. I want them more susceptible to learning and taking these. Um, this, this time that I get to spend with these students into play. I want them to really take something from the experience in, ex, instead of a stupid little craft or a, something that they make. I want them to have an experience to want to come back. If they pay the money and they go home with a couple of trinkets that they make and they sit by a campfire and have some good food, some people will be okay with that. Um, I'm not at that point. I, I think there's, if, if we have a little bit of time to spend with these new students and these people to experience the outdoors at that time, now we have to really show them how to enjoy it, not to force information down their throat. My, 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 teaching, um, my teaching methodology has changed. My thought process has changed. I think I've become better in the way that I, if I had an instructor with 25 years experience, this is what I would be telling my, my student that just fell off the bus with, with all the gear and didn't know nothing. I, I would be, I am excited now to be with those people because I have so much to share with them and to make their, their trip or their uh, experiences a little less sucky. Very good. I like that answer. Hey, I guess the next one would be uh, I, you and I both took an opportunity to query some folks on social media. I'd like to get to a couple of those questions, too. They would like to know what the most memorable t- teaching moment you had. 
the most memorable teaching moment I've had. Um, I'm, I'm going to say it happened a couple of days ago. It, nice. it, a, a couple of days ago, and I wasn't teaching at the time. Um, I'm on the mend from an injury on my foot. So mm. I've been doing silly, dumb work on the computer and uh, doing what I can from a desk right now. And uh, I had, a, I had a, a, a gentleman, a good friend now, but at the time, um, about a year, year and a half ago, he, he contacted me out of the blue from one of these groups I belong to. Um, I openly put out there in this, um, if you need help with, with anything concerning uh, primitive fire. Now, now, isn't that kind of funny? The thing that I had the most trouble with <laughs> in my last story, now I'm given help, right? So who am I? Ha ha. Right. I said, if, if, you, if you need any help and you're having troubles with this, let me know. And, and a couple people reached out to me and, and it was, it was uh, um, good stuff, but he, he did everything right. Everything to the <laughs> books, everything that I would have done. I'm like, gosh, I really don't know. Um, I said, let's dig deep, brother. Let's dig deep. Let's, let's really dissect this thing. Then I started pulling some, some crazy Tom Brown stuff out, man. It was the weirdest thing ever. <laughs> I had, <laughs> I, I have, I have a mutual friend that was an instructor for Tom for like three years. He's really, really good. He's really good. And uh, he said, Jamie, he said, you know the point where you're, you're carved your notch, you've shaved and trimmed all of the burnt material off the end of your spindle, and your dust pile is filling up about half of the space or half of the thickness of your hearth board and you're getting very close to that critical time where we're going to get that that point where we're going to ignite that that um dust pile and create an ember but it just doesn't happen he said what happens is the dust the dust starts to make contact with the end of the spindle and that's not a good thing because even though that you carved airways underneath of your hearthboard so you can get air coming in from the side to help fuel that ember when it happens, you need oxygen in there to superheat to help that point of that superheated pocket of air to heat up the dust enough to ignite that char, to turn it into an ember. And uh, what we're doing is we're starving the, uh, the dust from oxygen, that, that extra little element, that superheated um, oxygen, the, the point at which it's the top of the dust pile in the bottom of the spindle, that area is not there any longer. He said, what you do after you remove all of the charred surface of your spindle for your your attempt at getting a coal at that point while the end of the spindle is super hard even though it is a softer material in your spindle you know what you do is you take your knife tip and you bore in the center of your spindle making a hollow funnel okay because what you want is the out basically at that point all right there's there's not much at all in the bottom of your socket that you carve you want the outer third of your spindle making contact creating dust 
but what you've now is created a concavity that will hold superheated air now because that that spindle you know how hot that spindle gets that superheated air is just like throwing gasoline on that ember mm -hmm. and he gets it every single time now and uh that was that was what i shared with him and he that's that was what took him over the the, the edge and he's passing that on to other people getting it consistently now it was like okay that was that was a really good piece of information that he he had he had received and i'm like cool my job's done cool i okay that worked there's a couple other things but i'm like you don't need to know me no more that's cool you got right. it well he contacted me the other day while i was sitting on the couch probably watching me in that tune with my nut wife you know netflix and then whatever whatever and uh he he sent me a video he said man before i put this out there i want you to look at this and i looked at it and I could not have done any better. He did it 150%. And uh, his method, his what he's doing, he, he even changed some things up. He just said, before I put this out there, I want you to look it over to make sure it's okay. I said, brother, you, you're on it. I said, you're, you've, you're way better than me because you can do it and you can do it better. I said, I, I am beside myself. At, at that point, the little bit of information, because it was mostly him. He did 95% of all the work, right. right? And he just used a little bit of my help. He did all the work and he did a great job and he's sure. only getting better. So if, if I can drop some, a little bit of what I gained to somebody that's just starting, who knows what they can do from here on forward. Right. That right. blew my mind. It, right. That blew my mind. That's key. That's good stuff. Real good stuff. All right. Uh, number two from Rob Schneider at the OWA Lodge. If you had to teach only one subject, what would it be and why? Good luck on that. That's one subject. Yeah, that's hard. You know what? I'm going to say, oh gosh, my, my, I'm, I'm having an internal struggle right now in my head. Okay. Okay. Half, half of my brain is laid like, out. Let's, let's survival. hear it both. You know, my, my one side is survival because I think that is the utmost priority in, in why I'm teaching. I want to make sure people are safe and enjoying themselves and getting home safe. I don't want them to get hurt. I want to teach them what's going to keep their 98.6 until they walk back, back in the house. Okay. Survival, your priorities and how to positively affect those things. So you make it home. That's, that's the goal, right? After you learn survival, because survival is simple, survival is so simple, people overcomplicate things, okay? They just need to keep themselves alive to live the rest of their life. Survival plays such an important but small role. That's a crazy, crazy thing to profess. You getting us, getting in a survival, wilderness survival situation is... Um, the same astronomical odds of us winning the, the jackpot of the lottery like seven times in a row, seven times over and over and over and over and over again. Those are pretty big odds. So if the chances of us really getting in that life or death survival situation is the odds are so astronomically against us, why do we focus so much on it? Okay. Um, so I feel the other half, of my brain when you ask me that question 
is the art of camping. Going out and in, in taking a, a, a day trip, an overnight, a weekend, gradually building up, learning how to enjoy yourself in the woods with what you have. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, if you want to be a minimalist or you want to take the RV up, okay. When people, let's say people get in a survival situation, or let's say they get in two survival situations in their lifetime and they're 40 years old. Okay. You're talking about a week out of your whole life. And you're still living. What about the rest of the time? I'm sure if the, the odds now of you becoming um, or getting into a survival situation where your life's in danger, if you were taking the time and you like the outdoors, because that's how you got into those situations at the beginning, in my hypothetical. Now that you know how to operate in the woods, you're enjoying yourself in the woods and you feel more comfortable out there, the odds are going to be less that you'll find yourself in in a a crazy predicament. So let's teach the absolute basic standards on, on, on your survival priorities and meeting them in a kit that's personal to you and in teaching you how to use those things to keep you alive long enough to get back home and, and, and live in life and, and not being sheltered from the outdoors. So I would, I would have to say, um, uh, the art of camping and going outdoors and enjoying yourself uh, because that's, that's what I love. That's what, um, uh, if, if people want to be taught something and they're outdoorsy, we can touch base on a lot of these skills and still make their camp enjoyable. You know, it's, it, it's not a wreck. They're enjoying their time. They're cooking the right food. They're using the right gear safely. Um, there's so much to experience when you're striking a camp. It's just an, you can make it very enjoyable or it could be really sucky, but not a lot of people talk about camping, uh, right. camping anymore. Yeah. It, it's, it's a really good time out in the woods. Yeah. It's good for health, mind, body, spirit. It's good. It's good stuff. Uh, but, but again, I, but I think we should cover it like no other. I think we should survival. We should, we should really teach the absolute basics when it comes to survival and keeping your butt alive and knowing what your personal needs are to do that. And then get off the subject a little bit. <laughs> Let's spend time living in, in, in learning and having fun at these camps and experiencing new things because that amount of software, I heard this term the other night in my live, I was talking with uh, Jonathan MacArthur and uh, he said, um, survival in skills is like teaching in gear, teaching and learning. And these, these, these skills that you carry in your head is software. The hardware is the gear that, that helps you put this, these, these skills into motion, the stuff that the hard stuff, the heavy stuff you have to carry. We will first put some hardware together to build our survival kit and know how to use it not to be redundant, not to do long-term wilderness living because that's bull crap. Um, we want a survival kit to get us home as quickly as possible. That's our hardware. And we're going to build our software from here on forward and learn. That makes that little bit of hardware that is small, compact, um, a little bit more effective. And th- that's where my head is at. 
it, that's, nice. that's my space right now. Good. I don't know what that is, but that's what it is. So the next question, which uh, you walked right into it, which is good, is in this coming year, I always like to say, hey, what's Jamie going to be doing in the coming year? Is that going to be your focus? Is that what you're looking at doing, trying to formalize that? Or Yes, absolutely. Um, uh, back in the day, I really tried to hustle. I really tried to hit as many events as I, I could. I'm getting older. I, there's a lot of work that I want to do um, digitally and put my, my creative content into uh, some sort of a, uh, an organized manner, a website, and online classes and stuff. But I'm not in a rush for that. I'm not in a rush for that because my, my pursuit is to make the best basic survival class that you can possibly have with the resources we have now, the free internet experience, all of my friends in the industry that have all of these things going on. Um, I'm not trying to set myself aside from anybody because they're doing great. Okay. They, they have great programs and I don't want to deter, detract, or say that mine is good or better than any of theirs. I just want to put emphasis on building a perfect survival class. A, a, a very basic standardization, a standard class, a standard kit, you enter X, Y, and Z. You build on it however you want with all of your extra classes, your extra gear, the things that you feel more comfortable with carrying, knock your socks off. I want to build uh, a good foundation, a good starting point. And I feel my, my that's where I want to focus. If, if we build that so strong, no matter what crazy survival hack, crazy underwater basket weaving class they go to, it doesn't matter at this point. We know that they're going to be safe. They've got a personal survival kit that's going to keep them safe so they can take as many crazy classes as they want. That's cool. My, that's my goal. I want to have something that um, somebody 8 to 80, blind, crippled, or crazy are going to take something from and learn from it. And then they put the book down. They, they, they go on to taking care of themselves now. And that's where I'm, my goal is to create the, the master curriculum. It's our survival master class. And then on the website, I have all of the accompanying videos and all of the crafts and all the other stuff that I do on a daily is located there. That's it. It's kind of creating my own little space to find me because um, uh, the last couple of years, I was very spread out, dispersed. I was just, I had too many um, irons in the fires. Now we're, we're, we're really zooming in and, and focusing on and what we should be doing right now. And I think we're on track. I think we're on track. Very good. Which brings me to my last question. Where do people find all this? Um, you can At go to oldworldalliance.com or uh, just Google Jamie. <laughs> Jamie Bird, which <laughs> <laughs> he found is is something else, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, it was great. You know, here's the thing: um, Facebook love it or hate it, that's where everybody's at. You know, um, it's 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 horrible and great all at the same time. You know, it's it, that's where we're at, people. If you get a little bit too crazy, you're going to get booted. If you don't like politics or religion or getting your butt hurt, don't go there. But that's where everybody's at. And, and uh, right. that's why we have our, our little uh, private group there in the lodge, just so we can we, we have a congregation of like minded fools 
all uh, throwing ideas out there. And if they want to go a little bit further and, and more in depth and spend more time with uh, the exact teachings and what I've got going on, we have a pay site. And uh, I try to keep that as, as inexpensive as I can, you know, 10 bucks a month or $100 a year. And that's where I put everything. That's where I put everything. And this has been great, Jamie. It's been good to, to get to know you better. Oh, thanks a lot, man. I feel yeah. like I've just been jawjacking the whole time. My, my that, face hurts. That's all right. I wanted you to. I wanted, uh, I wanted our listeners to be able to get a chance to hear from you specifically. Yeah. So this has been good. Well, I probably lost followers and have, have more haters now. <laughs> oh, well. Who cares about the haters, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, this has been good. Down, man. I'm going to sign us off here, Jamie. All right. Hey, thanks for being here, brother. All right. Thank you. That wraps up another fantastic episode of the Nature Blinds podcast. I hope today's journey has inspired you to explore and connect with the natural world in new and exciting ways. Before I say goodbye, remember to check out the Nature Blinds School online membership. If today's episode sparked your interest in wilderness skills and outdoor adventures, this online community is the perfect place for you to start or continue your journey. You can currently sign up for a year for only $99 and get two months for free. Click the link below to discover a world of expert-led courses, engaging content, and a vibrant community eager to share their knowledge and experiences. Whether you're starting your outdoor journey or looking to deepen your existing skills, the Nature Reliance School online membership is here to guide you. Thank you for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe for more adventures and share this podcast with your fellow nature enthusiasts. Until next time, come on, join in. Let's learn together.